Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ange Postacoglu has always done things his own way. He's blazed a trail at every level he's coached and with a swashbuckling brand of football that's seen him win international and domestic honors, something which most Australian coaches can only dream of. Whether it be at international level or in Australia, Japan and now Celtic, success has always followed him. Now he's on the verge of arguably his greatest achievement. In this special episode of The Gagging Pod, I sit down with Ange to discuss his first season in one of the world football's most hostile jobs, chatting about why he will never change his philosophy, his thoughts on the current state of the Socceroos, and whether he has any regrets during his time in charge. And thank you for taking the time out to sit down and have a chat. Um, love to catch up with you, find out what it's like living in, in Scotland, Glasgow. Yeah. What's the city like? What's, what are the people like? Um, look, uh, pretty much as I expected. I mean, the, the, the city's been, um, you know, it's, it's great. It's not like I'm out and about too much, but um, in terms of adjusting, more importantly, my family's adjusted really well. I've got two young boys who go to school and um, my wife's really adjusted well. We've come from Japan where, um, you know, you probably experienced it yourself. When you move away as a family unit, you tend to really rely on one another when you go into a foreign land. And so, yeah, the two boys are really close as brothers because we've lived in Japan. So coming here was an easier adjustment. The language obviously helped. So, yeah, city's been fine. And, and, and moving to Scotland's been uh, great from, from my perspective because... Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're just passionate about their football. I'm passionate about football, so um, it's just been great being part of it. And the kids can understand the locals? Because that, that's pretty hard. I, I even find it difficult to yeah, understand no, it's, 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 it's So, so <laughs> my boys, right, So because they're both young, they, they went to international school in Japan, which um, were all teachers with an American background. So they had an American accent in Japan, <laughs> which annoyed the crap out of me. And now they've come here and they're Goodness. picking up a bit of Glaswegian <laughs> as well so they're not going to sound like my kids at all they're not going to sound like aussies at oh, all no, no. and especially not even the greek background either. no no none no, of that is gone no, no. Eh? although we're sending them to greek school here so oh, yeah uh, okay yeah my wife makes sure um we, we hold on to that side but um you know look kids are, uh, that's the great thing about them you, you kind of learn something as you get older they're just you know they just adjust you know as long as they've got you know a loving family unit wherever you take them they're fine we as adults get caught up about stress about little things sometimes that um you know, kids show you they're pretty resilient. You're looking really relaxed, looking calm. Um, what is it, over nine months now you've been here? Yeah, yeah. How's that journey been so far? And is it what you expected? Is it more than you expected? It's, it, look, it's, it's, it's been everything I expected, I think. I think you don't go into a role like this sort of kidding yourself about what you're taking on. Uh, there's enough people who'll tell you that anyway, you know. So there was plenty of people who were kind of trying to paint a picture of what it was going to be like for me. And... Um, but you know what it's like. Again, you know, the one thing I've been trying to explain to people here in Australia, we're, we're well aware of the magnitude of a, a club like Celtic, all the big clubs in Europe, because back home, if you were passionate about our game, you had to be really invested in it. So you found out everything about it. So I was under no illusions that I was taking over a, a massive football club with a massive following and massive expectations. Um, but it was what was appealing to me. That's that's where I wanted to be, and um, it's been all that and more, mate. You know, it's like um, you know, every day's uh, you, know, you say nine months, but it's you know, the, all the days have sort of just melted into one because it's just been one continuous sort of um, challenge every day to to try and you know create something here that will be successful. How difficult has it been for, for you to come in here? Firstly, there was a lot of media, media scrutiny about your qualifications, your background and all sorts of stuff. Um, people are pretty quick to criticise, you know, from Australia, the background. How was that for you? Was that something that you also used to inspire you, to prove people wrong? No, I went past that stage, mate. I, I had enough of that in Australia. There was nothing I could do in Australia and there were still people sort of questioning what, you know, my credentials, my ability to coach. There was always, you know... So I, I, I figured I had to get rid of that and, and, and just understand that, you know, for some people, 
irrespective of what I do in my career, because of where I started from, the law's always going to be this sort of question mark against me, which is, which is fine. It doesn't, it doesn't drive me, it doesn't motivate me. <coughs> I knew coming here, obviously, there'd be even more scrutiny because of, you know, everything I'd done was on the other side of the world, uh, even though, you know, I'd, I'd been to a World Cup. Um, so all those kind of things you kind of understand, but I, it didn't affect me, it didn't sort of motivate me. I knew that that stuff would become secondary once I started working. Every job I've been in has been the same, is that, you know, there's always a little bit of scepticism or conjecture at the start. There was a lot here, not a little, a lot. But I'm always confident once I start working and, and get on with it, then people will see what I'm trying to do and those kind of things should fade away if, if what I do is effective. And how are you finding that so far? How's the response been with the fans since you've been here? Fans have been unbelievable. And, and to be fair, they were unbelievable from pretty much day one. I think, you know, they were obviously didn't know who I was either for the most part, but it's funny, you know, they're, they're really, at the same time, they're fiercely loyal about their own people. So once I was announced, I think they just figured, look, he's one of ours now, so we're going to back him, lay off him. Um, and, you know, even at the start when things were, were a bit rocky, particularly with, with results, um, yeah, they, they were, from the moment I arrived, they've been right behind me. Um, you know, they want me to succeed. And, you know, then it's up to me to deliver, obviously. But, um, yeah, the support, and, and it was important for the team as well because I thought putting a new group together, a new group of players who are also experiencing Celtic for the first time, what I didn't want is them having the, the pressure of, you know, trying to appease a crowd or, or, or not having the crowd behind them. So inadvertently by supporting me, they were backing the players and that's helped us enormously. You, you mentioned that almost like rebuilding a new squad. The game against uh, Rangers, which is always the first game that people talk about, um, you, you, you beat them 3-0, you beat them convincingly, certainly that first 45 minutes. Was that the best 45 minutes your team has played since you've been at the club? Or also not necessarily the performance itself, but because of the magnitude yeah, of the game? Yeah, in the context of the game and, and what it meant, and, and you know, that was, you know, for us, it was quite a important moment because it was the first time for our fans because after last year, obviously, they weren't in the stands, so they were back and it was such a big night. And, um, you know, as you said, I think for for, the, for that group of players, I mean, I think we only had two or three in the starting lineup who who played the year before, so it was literally a new team rolling out there. Um, the way they handled themselves in that whole 90 minutes, the first 45 was great because we scored, but even in in the second half where we knew kind of Rangers would come at us. I thought the players, they just handled the occasion really well, which I think that gives you belief as a group, you know, that they, they've walked out of that thinking, okay, well, we've we've gone to a game with massive expectations. People, um, the whole sort of, the whole of the UK watching us, it was the only game on, on, on TV that night. Um, and they've come out of it, I think, feeling, okay, we can handle ourselves at this level. So. From that point of view, it was it was pleasing, and our football was was, was pretty good. I thought, especially like I said, the first forty five minutes, our football was decent. Was that one of the best atmospheres you've ever had? Best by far, because it just you know um, when you walk out there and you know you hear literally the whole stadium um, you know erupt into song and and and. It, it, the noise was just deafening. It was, you know, I've said to people that you have different atmospheres. You would have experienced that when we played Chile at the World Cup. You hear the Chileans sing the national anthem, and you go, "Well, mate, that's that's something there." You know, that's that's equally as inspiring as it is intimidating. Yep. Um, so that's a unique atmosphere. But in terms of the best atmosphere I've been involved in, just from start to finish, that was definitely it. Yeah. And that's what it's about, isn't it? Like, I mean, I know you've had frustrations with in Australia the way the game hasn't evolved reason you love the game, passionate about the game, and know that the game can go so far, particularly in Australia, but that's why you also want to coach and that's why you want to get to this level is to be in those sort of environments, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, so, you know, when people said, you know, like I said at the start, we talked about the expectations and, and you know, the pressures involved in football here. Well, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be, if I wanted to be comfortable, I would have stayed in Australia. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I would have had a job there for life if I wanted to. Um, it's the reason I went to Japan. I wanted to you know, challenge myself in a new culture, a new environment, language, um, <clears throat> you know, where people are passionate and the league's, you know, a, a difficult league to win. So, but then coming here, that was the major ingredient I was looking for, just that passion that people have for football that I've had since I was a little kid, but <coughs> frustrated there wasn't an outlet, you know, um, 
where I was where I was growing up to to release that sort of a passion. So, you know, like I said, that's the main reason I came here. And, and whilst when you're a manager, that that's you know sometimes when you're a player, you can shield yourself from some of it. As a manager, you kind of you have to take in all of it. I, I actually enjoy it, you know. And, and I know that if it doesn't go well, that comes back to to bite you. But again, even that. It, if, as long as people care, I'm, I'm willing to take it, you know. I'm, my job is to try and make sure that, you know, I, I bring success to the football club. Did you ever think there was any time that maybe the chance wouldn't come to, to come to Europe and manage in Yeah, Europe? absolutely. I mean, I'd, I, I'd, no, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'd resign myself. I, I, I kind of, you know, when I was in, <clears throat> when I left the national team and I said, look, you know, I made a decision as a family, look, we're just going to go abroad. I didn't know where I was going to go. And wherever the job takes us. And, you know, I was confident wherever I landed, I'd have success. I just have a real belief in, in the way I coach. Um, and, you know, landing in Japan, you know, things went really well there. I was enjoying my time there. Um, and the only inquiries I was getting from this side of the world were, were pretty dismissive, to be fair. There was no real, nothing there that you could say, okay, even what I'd done in Japan has made an impact. So basically my CV meant very little. Uh, and I kind of, resign myself to the fact that it doesn't matter what I did on the other side of the world, um, it wasn't going to have an impact over here. So again, as a family, we kind of, if, if this opportunity didn't come up, we would just move ourselves across here and, you know, wherever I got the opportunity, I was, I was confident I'd get an A on opportunity, I didn't know where. Um, but if it didn't happen, I was still content that I, you know, my career was still fulfilling enough for me, you know, and, and what I believed in and what I believe in myself, I was confident that wherever I was put, I'd have success. So if that didn't happen in Europe, it didn't happen, I was still sort of quite content with things, but you know, the world works in mysterious ways. And in the end, I end up at one of the biggest clubs in Europe, so. So there was a big job when you first turned up. There was a, a big turnover of players. You need to bring a lot of players in. How big a task was that to firstly instill the right mentality change the style of play to, to, your, to your way. Um, and also, because of the club had gone that year without winning a trophy, off the back of winning it nine years in a row, so the, there's so many things coming together and there's so much pressure and there's so many obstacles you need to overcome and now you find yourself three points clear at the top of the table yeah. with eight games to go. Yeah, the football side I was always, and I've always been comfortable with, right? That's, that's my space. That's, so in terms of getting the team to play the way I want, um, getting the players that I thought would fit that. I'm really comfortable in that space. The stuff that was gonna be the real challenge, I thought, was exactly what you said. The club won, you know, it had a lot of success, not just nine championships in a row, but you know, quadruple trebles. Yeah. I mean, we're talking real, a hell of a lot of success to none at all. Yeah. So, you know, I couldn't do one of these, you know, um, AFL five-year plans where I walk in and I say, you know, well, look, I'll build a team in the next five years. I knew that wouldn't, they wouldn't cut it and it shouldn't at a club like this. The reality of it is I had to come in here this year and bring success to the football club. This football club can't go two years without having some sort of silverware. So, you know, that was a thing that I had to control, identify first how am I going to achieve that with everything else? Because I, I always know that the football takes a little bit of time, particularly when you, we, we ended up bringing in 15, I think 15 transfers in, a, in, a, in two windows. Um, so, and then there was also, you know, how people felt around the, the club after such a disappointing year last year. So, because I, I mean, I, I inherited the staff and I wanted to keep the same staff moving through. So um, that for me was the, the, the side I kind of really put a lot of emphasis on. And, and for me, it was just about, I had a real energy when I came in because I wasn't affected by what happened last year. Um, and what I tried to give everyone is, you know, a little bit of that energy to give them hope. I've, I've already said sort of where supporters, players, just to give them hope to that, you know what, well, we can have success straight away. We can have success this year. Um, leave the football to me, just buy into it. And the only thing that might have derailed me was if I had resistance. If players or staff or, you know, people within the club tried to block what I was trying to do, then I'm thinking, well, that's, that's gonna stretch out the time. But to be fair to everyone, and maybe because of last year, even though I was literally an unknown, they, everyone really bought into it. They said, okay, well, off you go. And, and that allowed me then to, to, I think, speed up the process of us playing the football I want, but also hopefully getting us some success. 
So you've got your biggest move in your career as a manager. You don't bring anyone with you. Mm. And most managers don't do that. No. Most managers go, no, 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 I've got to bring my own people. Yeah. So yeah. that is even more impressive to be able to, to convince, to, to yeah, show people yeah, away. Yeah. I don't know if it's impressive. It's just me, mate. I, I've done that, I, I, you know, wherever I've been. I mean, I think only, the only, I've only taken really one person with me, and that was, I took Peter Klamowski when I was victory into the national team and into Japan. Um, so he was the only one that was sort of attached to me. Everyone else, every, every other job I've had, I've just either inherited people or I've worked with people I don't know. I, I just love that aspect of me uh, working with different people who have different ideas and then also me, when I come literally on my own, you know, into a building, I'm on super high alert, you know, and that keeps me sharp because I'm checking everything. I'm looking around every corner, I'm watching every behaviour because I need to make sure that everyone is on board and that's where I work my best, you know. I, I always talk to the, play about, to the players about, you know, never get comfortable, the day you get comfortable, the day you stop pushing yourself, as I say, somebody else who you don't even, don't even see is working harder than you. And I feel the same as a manager that until I finish, I want to make sure I'm as, you know, I'm at my best. And I'm at my best when I'm surrounded by people that I need to convince, uh, you know, about my vision and what I want to do. So, again, that, did, that wasn't daunting for me. And, and I, I know why people will look at it and think it's bizarre and different. But there's also part of it to me that says, well, in this building, there are people who had success of nine years in a row, right? Um, won a lot of trophies. There must be some decent people in this building because you don't have that success um, in isolation. And they also went through a bad period last year. And as you know, like sometimes you learn more from the failures than you do. So I thought, as long as there are people who are open-minded here, there might be, I think it's a good group for me to actually work with because they've had the highs, they've experienced the lows, and Hopefully, they're open-minded to, take, to to get us back to those highs. So the success comes, you know, was it five months into being here? You win your first trophy, the first trophy that's mm. up for grabs. Um, is there a moment there where you think to yourself personally, like, right, I've got it. That's the first trophy, right? We've won that bit of silverware, and I've almost like it's had a self-satisfaction that you're here and you, it's working so far. Yeah, but you know what football's like. We had a game. There is a moment. There is a moment. There is a moment. No, look, there was. I enjoyed the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. I, 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 you know, when we winning that trophy meant a lot because it meant a lot not just for me but for the people who've supported me um, and people who have believed in me when others haven't. Um, you know, whether that's your immediate family or or the people that you've been beside friends and, and others who have helped you in your career. So you get. It's no different to any you know, any other achievement you have, but. It also, I, I also knew that at this football club that you can't stop there, you know, that, that um, part of being involved in this football club and part involved in a big football club is that that quenches your thirst for more, you know. It, it's never a moment where you say, well, geez, we've won the trophy this year, so I've delivered, I can now relax. And, you know, that was never going to happen. This club doesn't allow it to happen, but it's not part of me. But again, I, I've gone past, well past the, point in my life where I'm trying to prove thing, anything to anybody. Uh, I do what I do because I love it, I'm passionate about it, and I love sharing those experiences with people who are either on this current journey or have been with me the whole way through. So you've got um, obviously <coughs> the Scottish Cup semi-final yeah. coming up, which is another opportunity, obviously a massive game against Rangers. Before that, you've got them in the league. Um, and. People kind of always look to that game as saying that's the moment that can define the season. Is, is that how you see it as well? I, I, I don't think so because um, just the way this season has gone uh, overall, um, I said pretty much early in the season, you know, that everyone was calling the season done. We obviously got off to a pretty ordinary start. I mean, we lost three of our first six. And if you look historically at the Scottish Premiership, you can't lose more than four or five games and expect, you know, and, and last year, I mean, Rangers went through undefeated, so Celtic have done that. So I kind of knew we we're going to have to be almost perfect to, to get to a position where we can be even in contention um, since round six. Um, but since then, it, it's, it, I've always felt it's going to go down to the wire and it might not even be the results against each other that, that does it. It's how you do against the other teams because 
even getting a draw, dropping a couple of points is quite significant. And, and when you look how tight it is at the moment. Um, so can they, they might end up being the defining bit, but I think, again, the one thing I've tried to do is, with this group of players is focus on, on the immediate task. Because for us to be where we are today, if we were thinking in that way from round six, we would have said, to be honest, there is no chance we can catch them. We were six points behind or whatever. And like I said, we had a new group of players. We didn't think that way. I made sure we didn't think that way from the start. We just thought, you know what, well, let's just chip away at, at what we're doing, improving our football every game. And that's got us to where we are now. Worst thing we can do now is start thinking a bit differently. You've got um, four, four Japanese players in your squad who have all, well, three of them certainly have, have done really, really well. Um, they're, they're finding their feet still. Is it a, is it a market uh, in Japan that's a bit untapped still and a bit of a surprise to you that not more European teams are interested in them? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I have the advantage that I work there, right? So that gives you an intimate knowledge of both player ability, character, you know, the whole sort of um, cultural aspect to it where I was super confident that the guys I'd signed would make an impact here. I mean, Kyogo Furuhashi for me can play at the highest level. I had no doubt, but because he was coming from Japan, there's always, again, it's because it's the other side of the world. It's like you said, it's an untapped market. Um, a lot easier to sign a, a, a South American player or a European player. Um, but it's one of those, I think, that once the door is open, and some of it is because, you know, Japan in itself is a fairly conservative society, so players haven't really been willing to, to take that leap sometimes. And, you know, there's always been a fear, can they adjust culturally? But I think all that sort of dissipated as well. Me living there, I know, you know, the young players there, they want to, be as successful as they possibly can and you know the German league has had so many fantastic Japanese players playing there but I, I, I go beyond Japan I think Asian players in general you know I think I mean you play against them but there's players from Iran and and Saudi that you think they could play in Europe very easily uh, top talents and I guess it's just it's just a matter of well for me I'm going to use it to my advantage because like I said I know that particularly the J-League really well. And I know the, the, the ability of the players and the talent they have, um, but I've got a sneaking suspicion over the next five years that the way football's going and the way scouting's going and, and identification, that it won't be an untapped market for too much longer. So you don't think it's the, the, the relationship, so you know the culture a little bit better, yeah. they know you, Yeah. they trusted you yeah, absolutely. as well yeah, because yeah. of having known, understanding what they're like as individuals as well. That makes a big difference. Massively, yeah. There's no doubt that I think if you ask the players we brought here, if, they, if, you, if you ask them what the major determination for them coming here, probably wasn't me because they already knew me from Japan, whether I coached, I mean, I coached obviously Days and Maeda, he knew me, but the other guys I'd coach against and they were more than familiar with what I was doing. They're comfortable that I understand Japanese culture and <coughs> it was a big part of sort of, you know, with the club here, the club's been really good and, you know, we've employed a person to, to help as a player liaison um, to help the guys settle in here. So I'm sure that was part of it. But again, that's, I, I still think that's just a, a small investment of a bit of time that somebody else could do as well that hasn't been there. It's all about relationships. If you, if you start these relationships and, and, and create as a club uh, an avenue for players to come here, then they'll be more comfortable. Than, but like I said, I'm, I'll keep all the secrets to myself, mate, for the time <laughs> of course. being, if I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so walking in the door, you've, you've got a familiar face, Tommy Rodgers. Yeah. Um, and obviously he knows the club and has been here for a number of years. How have you found that he's done since you've arrived at the club? Oh, Tommy's been outstanding. I mean, again, I, I worked with him national team. We'd watch him grow up, so I, I kind of knew what I was getting from, from a playing perspective. And, you know, Tommy was a bit of awkward space as well. He had a great year last year and like everyone else, but I think he probably took a bit of comfort as well that I was I was walking through the door and he kind of knew what to expect from me, especially from a footballing aspect. The way we play would certainly suit him. And um, he's been brilliant um, because I've got no doubt that when I first walked in, he was the most popular guy in the dressing room as to trying to find out a bit about me. And he probably didn't have a lot to give him to be fair, but because I, I haven't had many conversations with him. But um, I, I think the way he's played and the way he's gone about things, even though 
and again, you know what Tommy's like, he's, he's, he's a very quiet kind of guy. In terms of a leader, he's led with his performances. And for me, that's, that's been um, yeah, really important because, like I said, probably him, Captain Callum McGregor, near Bitton, they're the kind of James Forrest, they're the only remaining ones from the truly successful period. So I needed them on board. I needed them to say, well, get on board with this guy. Because like I said, for me, the only impediment to having success this year or having success quickly was if I didn't have, if I had resistance. And your first call of resistance is often your senior players. You know, if you can't convince the senior players that this is the road we're going down, any manager's going to struggle. And, and Tommy was part of that group and, you know, he's been brilliant. Uh, is Tommy the most influential and important player for soccer is right now? I think so, yeah. Uh, in terms of when you look at where everyone's playing and, you know, the, the form they're in and the experience, um, I, I think he's the one player who, even going into these two games, won't be daunted by, by the challenge. If anything, I think it'll it'll sort of inspire him to, to, to kind of play. And like I said, he's the quiet guy, but he's he can be a leader on the field because... You know, the one thing you know with Tommy is, irrespective of the context of the game, if you give him the ball in a certain area, something could happen, you know, something exciting could happen. So I think, you know, him and probably Matty Ryan are the two who, you know, kind of been through a fair bit over the, the recent period. But uh, definitely Tommy, I think, is, is the one that can, in these kind of games, um, especially Japan at home, I've got a feeling he could be the difference. Do you think Australia will qualify? I think directly. It, directly, I think it's in. If you look at it, it really comes down to, to the game against Japan because you kind of think Saudi will win their second last game, which means they're through. And then going to Saudi Arabia is never easy, but if, with nothing at stake, you, you know, you'd like to think that we'd be we'd be able to overcome them. I think you know, if you ask me right now, with the position we're in, it's probably a fifty-fifty proposition. Probably the most worrying thing is our recent form because you always go into these things about and say, well, are we playing well? Um, and is the side settled? And I don't think either of those things are happening at the moment. I think the form's sort of tailed off and, and it's the team's not settled. There's a lot of guys injured, a lot of guys not playing. Um, um, the team seems to be a little bit disabled. Or so. But the one thing you know about Australian teams is they always perform their best when they're either written off or their backs are against the wall. And... Um, yeah, I think if they get over Japan at home, then I think I think we'll qualify direct. Do you watch the games? Yeah, yeah, I still follow it. Yeah, I mean, I, man, I look, I, I, I'm still sort of, you know, invested in it because I want the game to succeed and I want, you know, the Socceroos, is, that's my national team. So I grew up watching them. I was lucky enough to, to manage them and, um, and I want them to succeed, yeah. Uh, you said not long ago about being tired mm. uh, of Australian football. Yeah. And it brings you down. Yeah. Um, can you elaborate on it? No, I just, I just found that it was, it, it, as I said before, from when I manage at my best when my energy levels are high and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of really on the edge of things. Managing the national team was, just drained me on too many levels because you end up with Australian football worrying about everything. Um, you know, when you're a foreign coach, you don't care if crowds are down or ratings are down or there's crowd trouble or, you know, um, the youth development systems aren't working, you know, the under-16s or the under-15s because you're a foreign manager, you're here for three years, you get them to a World Cup and then you go pack your bags and goes, I'm the national team manager, I'm an Australian. You know, all these kind of things affected me. And I started with all, with, with I think, with the right intent in saying, well, I wanted to sort of create a team that... You know, we, we could make an impact at a World Cup. Um, but in the end, all the surrounding stuff just strained me that I didn't, I didn't feel like the role I started was where I was heading to and where I wanted, to, wanted it to be in the end. And um, I think when you get into that space, you've got to be, you know, realistic enough in yourself to say, well, I don't think this is good for me. I don't think it's good for, for the job I'm doing, you know. I was determined to get us to qualify for a World Cup. I wasn't, you know, for me, that was hugely important. I think we need to qualify for World Cups every time. Um, and, you know, we won the Asian Cup. I thought, you know what, if I win, we won the Asian Cup, we qualify for a World Cup. I think for four years, I've done the best possible job I can do. Um, 
And at the time, I just felt it was, well, you know what, I don't want to go beyond this because I don't think it'll be healthy for, for, for Australian football, not healthy for me. Do you have any regrets about that decision? Do you look back now and think, I wish I'd just gone to the World Cup? Or are you still happy with that decision? Because it's obviously a very emotional decision, yeah, right, when you make yeah, that. Yeah, well, you're probably in the best position to answer that as much as me. <laughs> yeah, hang on, I'm asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did exactly the same thing. Yeah. And, 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 no, no, I, and, and, and I think it's hard for people to understand because yeah. they'll say, well, mate, it's just another six months. Yeah. And, and in your mind, it's probably, you know, whilst, and again, I'm not going to speak for you, but, you know, whilst it is an emotional decision, it's probably something you thought about for a long time. I didn't make that decision, you know, at, at the full-time whistle. You know, I'd, I'd made that decision a hell of a lot earlier, and I knew it was the best decision. I was in no doubt, and I and I didn't regret it. I mean, I watched, you know, ended up watching that World Cup, and when you're watching it, you go, "Geez, you know, I wish I was there, and I could have done this, and yeah. I could have done that." But that was more me just feeling like, well, I wanted to contribute more, but I was absolutely 100% that it was the best decision for myself personally. Uh, and I think it was the best decision for, for where I was at. And I've, you know, I think what's happened subsequent to that has sort of justified it in my mind that I always reflect back to my, my youth team coaching and, and I stayed on too long for that. You know, I ended up doing three cycles of World Youth Cups, 17s and 20s, doubling up. And I stayed on way too long. I should have got out a lot earlier and, and understand that all these things have a lifespan. Yeah, maybe, but it also could also have a lot to do with where you are right today. Had you got out, maybe, you know, the path is the path that you've taken yeah, right and now. and that's what I'm saying. And I was confident that that, wasn't a, that decision wasn't the end of the road for me. If anything, I knew it would be an opportunity because I kind of sensed that I was ready to go. You know, I said at the time, Australia and me needed a separation, trial separation. I'd done all I could in Australia. I needed to get abroad and I was confident wherever I landed and I didn't have a job at the time so I wasn't that sure but ended up being Japan but wherever I was going to go I was confident that I would still continue on and have success so that, that was never in any doubt but it's like anything else you got to you got to cut those apron strings you know you got to you got to get yourself out there and, and that's why for me that decision if anything was liberating because I kind of go you know what well that's it now we go we leave Australia we've yeah, we've done all we can and, and let's see where it takes us. So the, the breakup's done and dusted, right? So many years down the line, you, you, you one night and late in the bar, you you get back together again. Is there a chance? No, the I, don't, one day, I, 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 one don't, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think I've done my stint and like I said, I look on back with it with great pride and great satisfaction at what we were able to achieve in those four years. I know other people have different views, but I like to leave it at that. I, I think for me, you know, it's funny how we think as Australians sometimes that, you know, our very own, we don't want to um, elevate too high, you know. We want to just keep everyone on an even keel. And I think me going back there is not going to change that, you know. It's not going to do anything different. I, even now, I feel more respected in Japan than I do in Australia. Even though that's not to say the people in Australia, I understand they're following particularly my journey now and everyone takes great I get get all that but in terms of respect footballing wise um, you know I, I always look back to and you were part of it I, I, I witnessed it firsthand when 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 Frankie Farina sort of left the job or got sacked from the Socceroos and they brought in Gusidink and he did an unbelievable job but I just saw how people treated him same position yeah same position but the way they treated him and what was given to him to succeed and that's why we did succeed, and good on him. Um, that was never given to, a, to, to, to an Australian. I don't think we'd ever go in that track. So I'll give you an example, because you know, again, I read a bit where if Marcello Bielsa offered himself to Australia, I think we'd open our doors and give him everything he wants from youth development to whatever. If I went back there, I would still have to start at sort of spot one to, to convince people that, to do things a certain way. And, because of that, I think I'm better off having done my stint. I'm proud of everything I've achieved in Australia, and uh, you know, I'll always, I'm an Australian, so I'll always support it and, and leave it at that. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I think you're a pioneer. Let's be honest, you're a pioneer now. First Aussie manager to be at the level that you're at here in Europe. So down the track, I think that could all change. It all depends on how the future goes. And the thing is, you didn't say never. So yeah, 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 you never yeah. say never and yeah. you never know. Yeah. Um, what would you change if you could change with, with, with football in Australia? I mean, I know it's a long question, it's an yeah, open question. It's, it's a difficult one because you kind of know that, you know, even the best ideas in Australia seem to, you know, sort of, you know, dissipate into these little sort of, uh, battles you need to have left, right, and centre that you kind of, like I said, they, they end up wearing you down. I still haven't found one person who's managed to outlast the, the, the wars in Australia. You know, for the most part, it either finishes two way. One, you know, a person who's, who, and there's been so many great people come through our game who either leave it and go, I never want anything to do with it, or leave it and go, just, I'm just tired, I can't do it anymore. You know, no one's been able to stand up. You know, the only person I, give great credit to is Sir Frank Lowy got back up on his feet and even after the first time being knocked down and he had another crack at it um, to, to try and sort of lift the game in Oz in his own way um, but I just there's just so many ingrained things in our in football itself that um, there's no kind of you know, there's no magic bullet to it and the problem is we probably always look for a magic bullet it's just it's just the, the basics mate it's a lot of funding a lot of resources a lot of time and effort a, a common goal you know it's it's no great secrets but people don't want to hear that they want to hear that there's something magical you can bring in so you know that's that's the frustrating bit and i don't know maybe like i said i'm hoping that a individual or people who who, who are younger than me that come in with that energy and can sort of break it down and, and, and turn the game around for us. Uh, so you've got an opportunity, you're going to Australia in November, which is a yeah. big big event. Celtic obviously are playing out there in a mini tournament, the Sydney Super Cup, Sydney yeah. FC, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers, and obviously your big rivals, Rangers. Um, that must be pretty special for you to go back as manager of Celtic Football Club yeah. to Australia. Yeah, it will be. It'll be pretty, it'll be pretty surreal because Again, when I was playing in the NSL, you played in the NSL, I was in a dressing room full of Scotsmen, you know, expats, who would talk to me endlessly about Scottish football. You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, it was all wee man, big man. Yeah. And, and, and that's the dressing room. And I know people over here sort of find it hard to understand. And, you know, my best mate at the team, in the team was Stevie Blair. He's a, he's a season ticket holder at Celtic from, even though he lives in Australia. So he was forever telling me these stories. and. So you kind of go through that journey in your life and you know you end up, like you said, in a this surreal situation where I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back as manager of that football club. And, and um, you know, apart from, you know, I'll take great pride, obviously, because you know, I'm an Australian and it's a massive, one of the biggest football clubs in the world, but just how that's going to make f f all those players I played with or against I can just imagine how they would feel, you know, that, that somebody they know, that somebody they're associated with is coming back as, as manager of this football club. So, um, I mean, it's a long way down the track at the moment. It feels like it's a long way down the track, but <laughs> I, when it does happen, it'll be, um, yeah, it'll be pretty amazing, I reckon. And for the Celtic fans, particularly in Australia, obviously a lot of Celtic fans, you mentioned they're living in Australia, getting up at all hours of the, of the night to, to watch Celtic. What message have you got for them? Well, I, I mean, I, again, just, hopefully that there's a little bit of extra sort of pride in the fact that you know one of their own is bringing their their football club because it is there and that's when you realize the magnitude of this football club and why i keep sort of trying to tell people here is that you know they know how big an institution and, and brand it is here in europe but they need to know that it's worldwide you know in australia like i said they're getting up you've got to be really invested in your football club to get up at 3am to go to a pub and watch it um or maybe not they just like going to a pub <laughs> at 3am but um, probably a bit of both yeah a bit of both um but you know and, and it's not uh, you know since i've been in the role i've had messages from all over the world you know 
Celtic supporters clubs in every single corner of the globe. Um, but I know how passionate they are in Australia. So um, yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm looking forward to it. They'll they'll create a special atmosphere, and um, and uh, like I said, for me, it'll be uh, it'll be super special. Going forward, what do what do Celtic need to do to win the title this season, and obviously win the Scottish Cup, win the treble? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sounds easy, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> just stay the course. I think all you can do is put yourself in a position to win things. Yeah. Um, so so far we've we've done things a certain way, and it's got us into this position. Um, still knowing that the the key bit is ahead of us. So what do you got to fall back on? Is that I've got a real resilient group of players who. I don't, you know, people will look back and not understand exactly. I mean, I was throwing in players who literally hadn't trained with the team into league games, you know, um, and because that's the state we're in at the start of the year. And, you know, we've had injuries. We've had, you know, COVID's hit us pretty hard at different times. Um, all these things have happened. And along the way, I could have made allowances for the players and just said, look, this is a new group of players. We're going to need time in it. And I didn't, I said, no, we need to have success. And to their credit, this group has just not made one excuse all the way through. So when you're going into the toughest part of the year, I'm thinking, you don't know how football, the football's gonna pan out, but I've got a real strong, resilient group of players, you know, a group of people who, whatever the battle is gonna be out there, whatever the challenge, they're gonna be up for it. Um, so that gives me the confidence and, and, and I guess the, the soundness to say, well, mate, we're going to have a go. You know, I think we'll we'll, we'll have a crack at it. But um, as you know, football, mate, until it's all done and dusted, you know, you don't know how it will pan out. When you you talk about the, the the new players, the amount of players, and how how pretty much you're on your knees at times with regards to various things, um, was the European competition too soon, probably for this group, as in four major competitions? Yeah, look, if you look back on it, probably. I mean, our, our actual group stage was was good you know we, we kind of grew into it i mean we were obviously we had leverkusen who were a fantastic side and real batiste who were flying in the in in, in spain so i knew it was going to be a, a massive challenge for us but when you look at it you know we, we we started the group slowly but we finished pretty decent pretty strong we finished with well, we ended up winning three games and a lot of other groups that would have got you through it's the two games against bodo that we kind of let ourselves down and and you know, you're probably right. It was maybe a bridge too far for, for us this year to be sort of trying to compete on multiple fronts. Um, but the reality of it is, I see it, well, that's that's a failure on our behalf because this football club will always be involved in Europe. And we want to be involved in the Champions League. So you've got to be able to, to cope with that, withstand that, embrace that pressure. So, you know, we'll learn from that this year that, you know, that, that's that part of the journey wasn't a success for us and we've got to, you know, I've got to make sure that we address those things but I'm sure the players you know, would have learned a hell of a lot um, you know, through that whole exercise and as I said that's part of this football club you've got to be willing to, to be up for the, the fight in multiple tournaments you, know, you can't just say well we're just going to compete in two this year that's not going to happen yeah, because you, you talk about the, the, the domestic competitions, winning the treble, but then the Champions League is a big carrot, isn't it? Yeah. It's something that Celtic have obviously had some success in the past. They're one of the biggest clubs in the world. That must be high up on the list as well to accomplish. No, no doubt. I mean, it's won a European Cup. You know, how many clubs can say that, Mark? You know, it's, it's, it's one of the, those clubs that are in rarefied sort of territory. And when you do that, then that sets a standard that, you know, you need to try and uphold. And, and for me, my goal is to get this football club to be playing Champions League and competing in Champions League. And I don't think, you know, you kind of know that, you know, that there's some massive clubs, but you also look at some other clubs in, that do well in the Champions League and you think, well, we can replicate that. This football club can. It has 60,000 supporters every game. It, it, it's geared for success. It, it, it it's had, has a history and tradition of competing at the highest level. So there shouldn't be a barrier to that. Um, you've got to have domestic success because that gets you into it. But beyond that, you've got to, you've got to be aspirational enough to say, well, that's, that's where we want to be as a football club. We want to be competing in the Champions League, making an impact in the Champions League. And, and to be honest, that's the, the biggest driver for me. I know that I need to have domestic success, but the biggest impact I can make at the football club is to, is to make an impact in Europe. 
I spoke to Thomas Broich, I caught up with him in Berlin uh, just the other week, and he was talking about, he caught up with you in Leverkusen. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he was asking you about how you're gonna approach this game. And you remember what you told him? Oh, probably just said some philosophical thing to Thomas about <laughs> we're going to go at him and, and not worry about. You're going to play. You're going to play your style, yeah, and that's yeah, it. And yeah, nothing's going to change yeah, regardless yeah, of the previous yeah, scoreline. Yeah. That's obviously something you know. You've been very much, very confident, and that's been your thing from the one from day one, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's something that Celtic fans obviously are getting used to now as well. Yeah. And you won't change that, will you? Well, I don't see any reason why I should because I've had so much success. Yeah. I mean, I. I managed South Melbourne to two championships. I managed Brisbane to two championships. So I, I got Melbourne victory. I only had them for a year. I got them into the Champions League. I won an Asian Cup. Got us to a World Cup. I won a championship in Japan. I'd be absolutely dumb, you know, uh, to to change my approach. Even though that's what people have constantly said to me. But what I've tried to explain to people is that I don't do this because I want to prove something or I love this kind of football. I do this because it's successful. I know that that's the way to success. There are many ways to play football, absolutely. And there are many ways, there are even more ways to survive in football than there is to success. The road to success is fairly narrow. There's a certain formula you need to follow. That doesn't mean one way of football. It just means that the most successful um, clubs and the most successful managers are the ones who've got a real clear idea about how they want the teams to play. And that goes from Atletico Madrid to you know, Man City in terms of styles, but real clear identity. That's that's where I fit. I'm I'm I've got a real clear idea of the road to success. So what people try and do is pull you onto the other side of the road where you can survive doing it many different ways, but all you'll ever do is survive. So I don't I've never felt the need to change. I've never felt the need to, to do things differently or try play a different way because it's it's always been successful to me and for me and I know it'll be successful for me wherever I am. What's your ultimate goal? Have you got one? Have you got like No, a... not really. I, 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 my ultimate goal was to not have a job my whole life, and I've done that. <laughs> you know? You've I, gone the other way, have you? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, mate, I, 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 we grew up in Australia where we fell in love with this game that wasn't going to give us what we wanted in our own country. So to be able, because the, the, the friends I grew up with all wanted the same thing as me. Now, they've all had very successful careers in, in many different ways but we all grew up with this dream of football being our passion somehow making that a career and mate, i've done that so that that for the last sort of 30 years of every day i wake up and feel blessed to be able to do what i do and so from then on it's just been about you know as many great experiences as i can shove into the the years i've got left that that'll do me you know and i've had some fantastic times i've shared them with some fantastic people, players, coaches, you know, every club I've worked at, I, I can confidently say that if, you know, I went back there, you know, I, I, I could connect with some really great people. So, you know, the goal is to do that here now, you know, and to, to sort of create a bit of a legacy from us for this football club here that allows me one day, you know, in 10 years time to be able to come back here and, and people sort of acknowledge that, that, that I'd made my own mark. So that's, the goal's been surpassed now. It's just about, like I said, just trying to create some special experiences along the way. Uh, the, the other thing I picked up with Thomas was there, there's a there's a human element that people don't really get to see a lot in the football world from your side. Mm. What I got an overwhelming sensation and, and understanding was that you played a massive part with Thomas off the pitch as well. Mm. And that's something that he changed as a person and obviously incredibly for the good and, and become this very confident guy. Is that something you also take incredible sort of pride yeah, out of? Yeah, I think so. Look, I think it's important. I mean, I, I, I'm, what, 56 now, and, you know, I, as you get older and you kind of realise that there are certain things along the way that will challenge people as they get older, and having been through those experiences myself, I, you know, I feel it's my responsibility to, to try and pass that knowledge onto them. I never, I've never 
told people how to behave. And, and the one thing I've found out, and, and the beauty of sport, and say Thomas is a great example of that, is that I've learned that people are different, you know. You, you, they're not all going to be the same. They're not motivated by the same things. So if you walk into a dressing room of players and expect them all to be right on it every day and motivated by the same thing and the, I'm going to give the same speech to everyone, it's not going to work. They're all individuals. But it doesn't mean that they don't want the same things. So, you know, one of the first questions Thomas asked me was, you know, we were going to Wellington, I think, in a way trip. And he said, he said, okay, if I bring my guitar along, you know, so he, he's got his, you know, his bag and he's got his guitar strapped. Now, I could have said, what are you doing with the guitar? But I knew that half the other blokes had put their PlayStations in their bags. So I'm going, well, what's the difference between having a PlayStation in your bag or having a guitar? If that's what helps you relax. And so I, I, I kind of cottoned on to that fairly young in my managerial career that, you know, you need to let people be who they want to be and once they're comfortable then you can steer them along a path where hopefully you understand what they want and then you try and guide them so wherever I've been I've tried to do that whether it's with players or with you know fellow coaches who've worked with me is to and again it's not you know it's not me sort of reading the gospel to them or trying to tell them what to do with their lives it's more just giving them some, steering them about some life lessons I've learned that I think can help them along in their path. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I wish you all the very best. Well, eight games remaining in the league. Um, cup semi-final, hopefully a final, and hopefully the treble this season. Well, yeah, we just do what we don't. So, so, so tell me, mate, any regrets? <laughs> no, it's funny because the, the difference is I didn't sit there watching the World Cup go, I would have done this differently or that differently. Yeah. I was just like admiring and watching the World Cup and enjoying it so yeah. and it was a different perspective from a player now yeah. as an ex-player sitting on the outside watching a group of guys that you knew all a lot of them very very well yeah. so no for me it was a timing like you said it mm. the right timing the right moment to move mm. on and mm. and and experience different things good to know good there you go <laughs> <laughs> that's unusual <laughs>